Happy New Year and welcome back to a new season of Reform Everything, the podcast that aims to carry on the tradition of the Reformation by exposing the corruption in our lives, our churches, and our society, and reforming each of these in accordance with the scriptures for the glory of Jesus Christ alone. I am your host, Thomas Pig, and I hope that you've noticed that the tagline changed for this podcast. Uh, I just wanted to be more precise with the objective of our time together. I really want our time together to be spent looking inward and outward, checked against the scriptures, and done ultimately so that Jesus would be praised through all of it. Now, I know that some of you might not be Christians, and that's entirely fine. You're more than welcome here. I am going to be upfront about my faith, so you don't have to find out any hidden surprises along the way. And honestly, many of the topics that we discuss on the show traverse across all aspects of society. So even if we don't worship the same, we can still come together to find ways to you know, make a more just, equitable, free, loving, and productive society. Now this season, I'm going to begin interviewing people, which is something I think will add a lot of flavor to the show. And it helps me avoid losing my voice because I'm not talking as much. So I hope hearing from others will add a lot more variety to what we are doing here. But enough about me talking about the housekeeping items. Let's get to the show, okay? So in today's season premiere, we are going to be discussing the intersection of faith and mental wellness. Now, living in the times that we do, it seems certain that we need both more faith and more mental wellness, right? A lot of craziness going on. Well, I've asked my good friend, Ken, to come onto the show to help out. And Ken will introduce himself a, a little bit more in a few minutes. But I can also give you a quick background of our friendship. So Ken and I, we met at college more than 10 years ago. Yeah, I'm, I'm that old, I guess. <laughs> we bonded over our love of football and, and of Jesus and a lot of other things. And really over the last 10 years, he's become one of my best friends and someone that I can rely on with just about anything. We've talked about uh, just about anything and everything under the, the sun and the moon. And we've talked almost every day for the last 10 years. So he's a, a real awesome guy and I'm really happy to have him on the show. So with that being said, let's get into the interview. All right, so I have with me today one of my best friends in the entire world, Ken. So Ken, thank you for being here with me today. Uh, you know, before we get into this topic about mental health, maybe you could just tell us who you are and uh, what you do. Yeah, so I, I'm Ken, um, and I am a professional counselor in the state of Illinois. Um, I work in two different locations. I work both at a, a local college, um, as well as a, a not-for-profit organization um, that provides services to the community, um, all, all focused around mental health specifically. Um, and I provide um, individual um, mental health therapy, counseling, uh, whatever word you'd want to use for that. Uh, that's kind of what we do. All right, that's great. Um, so what, what exactly made you like, choose to go into that field? So I, from a very young age, I've kind of been in and out and dealing with mental health issues. Um, I've gone to counselors ever since I was a really young kid. It started out dealing with anger um, or what we thought was anger. I also dealt with things such as ADHD. Um, and the reason I say thought was anger is that a lot of times with, with young adolescents, um, children and young adolescents, anger um, can be very strongly tied to depression. Um, and so later on in life, I realized that I do struggle with 
um, some pretty significant bouts with depression as well as general anxiety. Um, so my experience specifically with, um, with dealing with mental health myself, um, having a desire to, to use my experience and my growth to help others, um, but I think uh, I'd be remiss not to mention the fact that I do feel called, um, that is spiritually, to to do the job that I do. I feel that this is something God has given me a skill set and God has given me um, an ability and open doors that I think at times only he could open um, to get me to where I am, um, doing what I do, um, working with people the way that I'm able to. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, calling is, is very important whenever you, you consider a career. And, uh, you know, I'm glad that you felt that call and that you jumped into that field. I, I think you're probably doing a pretty good job over there. But, you know, with every calling, you know, there are there are going to be some challenges along the way. So maybe you can give us maybe one or two uh, challenges that you find yourself in, maybe on a daily basis or overall. Well, I think a very important thing for, for all people in our field is the challenge of how do we take care of ourselves? How do we balance um, our lives with the lives of the other people that we interact with? Um, Self-care has been something that I think everyone struggles with, but in mental health and in any, um, in any healthcare profession, you're constantly trying to help other people. You're constantly trying to get other people on their feet. And we oftentimes lose focus of, of where we are. And we oftentimes figure out that, well, we're trying to um, pump out someone else's boat. Our boat is filling with water faster than we realize. So I think the biggest challenge is probably the balance in life. Um, a lot of people might consider, oh, well, the biggest challenge must be the fact that you have really hard cases and you have people that are really hard to work with. And all those things are, are realistic. I mean, there are cases that are harder than others. There are people that you work with that are going to be harder to work with than others. But by far the hardest thing is that balance and not constantly thinking about those people that you serve whenever you're not in the process of serving them. Um, so I would say that's the biggest challenge um, in, as far as I'm concerned. Okay, very good. Yeah, um, I, I know with just talking with with you and with others, it's uh, it's definitely a challenging field to be in. I know sometimes I um, just kind of talk with uh, my daughter's uh, social worker, and she talks about some of the challenges that they that they have in their field, um, you know, with the foster care system. And it's very easy, I feel, for people who are dealing with um, you know mental or behavioral or other you know uh, issues that are going on uh, that's maybe not. Uh, talked about or, you know, in the mainstream, right? Uh, people tend to burn out a lot in, in, in those fields. Um, so I'm glad that you're, you're, you know, you're pretty cognizant of the fact that you have to make sure that you're taking care of yourself. That's, that's good because we don't want you to burn out. Um, now at the same time, you know, we do know that um, a lot of people stay in these really high stress, um, easy to burn out type of fields because there are, you know, some highlights, I guess. So maybe, you know, you have something that just at the end of the day, whenever you've had a rough day, you just look back and you say, you know what? It was worth it, you know, because I was able to do this or that. Do you have anything like that? Yeah, I think for me, it, it goes back to calling, right? So I go back to at the end of the day, even on really hard days, I think about the fact that that God placed me in a room with broken people um, 
and myself being broken, able to sit there and be present and be able to work alongside them to help them progress. So regardless of, you know, along with your social worker friend, there's, it, it becomes a point where new stories of abuse, new stories of trauma, they, they stop, there's no surprise left. Like there's no shock factor for people who've been in the field. Uh, we, we've, we've heard the stories and um, that's not to say that they're not shocking, but it's that trauma has, has run it. We've, we've processed a lot of this trauma with our clients over periods of time. And so new trauma takes on, um, I don't want to diminish new, everyone's trauma, but the, there's very much less shock factor. Um, and I think I really appreciate that God has placed me there to provide a shockless face for a person who might have never had been able to share their story and have someone's jaw hit the floor. You know, they're able to just sit there and, and process their trauma without having to worry about my specific, how is this other person going to take what I have to say? Um, so at the end of the day, that's the biggest reward is that God has placed me to be a presence, a peaceful, gentle presence in other people's lives, um, regardless of whether it was easy or hard. Um, now there's specifically when it comes into working with individuals, each person that might make a big stride in their own life and each person that might, um, might be encouraged, but, but ultimately I don't really take credit for those things. Number one, I was placed there by God. Number two, I'm not the one who's putting in the most work. The most work is being placed by the clients who are coming in, they're sharing their story, they're putting in the work to, to make themselves, um, to, to change themselves, to get themselves onto a track that they're comfortable with. That's kind of a really long answer for a short question. I apologize. <laughs> no, don't apologize. That's, that's <laughs> fine. I, I, I love hearing what you have to say, and I think uh, other people will like to hear that as well. Um, I think one thing that you actually you touched on that made me really stop and think for a second was the fact that you go in and you said that people come into you and they have, um, you know, they have someone who is not showing sort of like a shock on their face whenever they tell the story. And I think that's really important, something that maybe people miss on. Um, I know that... I got called out a couple of times at my old job because we were in meetings and I got to the point where um, I didn't really care much anymore <laughs> about, uh, about what was going on. And people would say really just ignorant things and I would let it show on my face, like rolling my eyes or whatever. So um, I'm not, I'm not the, I'm not, I guess I'm not the person to be called into, um, into this type <laughs> of ministry because uh, I would show probably things on my face. So, you know, God bless you for being able to, to go in and, and handle those, those sorts of things and do it with a straight face and um, you know, being able to be a, a caring, um, you know, listening soul for these people. Um, so now with those kind of like, you know, maybe basic softball sort of questions out of the way. Wanted to jump into more like in-depth questions here. And uh, specifically, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, your faith in regards to your calling um, and to going into mental health. And, uh, you know, that's, that's interesting because I, I feel that there are still a lot of Christians, especially here in the U.S., that are um, hesitant to 
talk about mental health or behavioral health. Um, they're hesitant to learn more about it and they have all kinds of ideas. So my, my first question, I guess, would be, why do you think it's important for Christians to speak and like sort of focus on mental health? So I think the, the biggest priority in, in speaking and focusing on mental health is so that people can remove the stigma around it. So um, at the beginning of every school year, I meet with our freshman class um, at the college I work for, and the whole purpose is just to talk about mental health. Um, and, and I really break mental health down to people come and meet with a counselor to deal with things. Um, so it's either behavior patterns or thought patterns that interfere with a person's ability to function in any setting. And so if you break it down to that simplistic of a thing, so a, a behavior or thought pattern that, that makes it difficult for me to function in any setting, whether that's spiritual, physical, emotional, um, social, in a work environment, any of those environments, and I have a thought or behavior that's interfering with that. Um, and I think when we broaden it out like that, it takes away this whole, um, this, this culture stigma that gets placed. And I, and I want to talk, if you don't mind, I'd like to talk a little bit about that stigma. Um, and that is that, yeah, the one that quite honestly, our media, um, the press, um, even our politicians, um, and, and this isn't to, to bash on Trump at all, because it's not just him. This is, this is across the board for all politicians. Anytime we have a, a mass shooting, a, um, a horrendous act taken where someone takes a bunch of other people's lives or one other person's life, the first thing they jump to is, oh, this person had, um, was mentally ill. They were crazy. They were, they were super messed up. Um, and the reality is that very well may have been. Um, but, but the other reality is that the majority of people that deal with mental health issues are nonviolent. Like the vast majority of mental people dealing with mental health have zero violent tendencies at all. But yet when we look at the media and we look at what's going on politically, it all gets cast, all the major things get cast onto, um, you know, moms that might kill their, kill their child with postpartum de depression. Um, you know, that's a very horrendous thing. However, so is dealing with postpartum depression not excusing the murder of a child, but I, I also think that there's compassion for a person who's dealing with that type of depression who isn't getting the support. And, and really what, what, why Christians need to focus on this and actually try to support the, the, the removal of the stigma is because by removing the stigma, we are opening, we're bringing light into darkness, right? Mental health is a darkness. It is, um, when it comes to depression, specifically depression, it is it can be an immense darkness that someone feels completely trapped in, um, feels guilty for feeling the way they feel, especially in America. When we're talking about, oh, I'm depressed. Well, you live in America. You have all these freedoms. A lot of um, students or, or people I might meet with say, I've got nothing to be, be depressed about. Um, but the reality is, is that depression doesn't care if you have have something to be depressed about or not. That's just, it's, it's chemical imbalances. It's, it could be a vitamin D deficiency. There's so many different things that play into why a person might be struggling with depression or anxiety. Um, some of the, the more 
the more common ones there. So removing stigma brings light into darkness, just as calling, I'm not saying mental health is a sin, but calling, bringing attention to our sins can bring light into the darkness and promote healing. Bringing light to the darkness of mental health can really promote healing in people. Yeah, so that's that's actually a good, um, really good segue into the, the next question that I was going to ask was, um, you know, you, you mentioned that um, there there's a lot of stigma that goes on with uh, with mental health, uh, behavioral health. So why do you think it is? Why, why I, for me, I, I, I guess my best guess would be that um, because whenever you're talking about these issues, you're sort of in your most vulnerable state. Would you agree with that or disagree with that or have some uh, other sort of answer? So I think there's, it, it's twofold. You know, I kind of mentioned before, um, when we're talking about mental health, there's the, the stigma that's placed out there by our politicians and placed out there by the, the media. And even, let, let's go beyond um, just, just straight media, but let's go into movies. Um, whenever we talk about movies and you say, okay, well, let's talk about someone who has a mental health issue. The majority of the movies we're talking about are, are what? Like mass murderers. Right. right? Like or schizophrenics or something like that. Yeah. We're not talking about um, just everyday average people like all of us are that deal with mental health issues. We're talking about these huge humongous cases. Um, so I think that's part of why there is, um, there is a taboo. I think the other aspect of why there's a taboo is that there is some darkness within the mental health, um, within the history of mental health. Mm-hmm. Um we don't do this anymore, but there used to be psych wards where people would send people with mental illnesses for the rest of their lives. Um, and those people would be treated, some of them would be treated very poorly in these wards. Some people um, were experimented on in these wards. So, I mean, there's, there's a bad history with, with how people were treated. Uh, most people don't currently recognize that. So I would probably tie most of it to um, to just how, how the cinema, how the media, um, and how we're raised, especially men being told um, emotions are bad, grown men don't cry. I'm not going to use the word ta- uh, ma- uh, toxic masculinity, but I will say that there's, there's something to be said about um, men and women both experience the exact same emotions, um, yet men seem to be told that they're not allowed to. Um, which also plays into the stigma of if I deal with depression, I pull myself up by my bootstraps. Um, I'm not allowed to talk about this with anyone. So I think that the stigma kind of comes from um, maybe even in a feeling of shame. Sure. Okay. That's very good. And uh, you're really touching on a lot of, you know, a lot of questions that, uh, you know, I want to, I want to talk about. So I'm excited that, you know, this is, this is going well. Um, so, one of the things that you mentioned a few moments ago, you, you said something about, um, you know, how, um, you know, when you bring things to light, um, like mental health issues, that that's a good thing. And it's sort of in the same vein, uh, like sin, um, when you bring it to light, it's a good thing. But then you also mentioned very quickly, not saying that mental health is necessarily sin. So there are a lot of questions or excuse me, a lot of Christians um, who speculate that, you know, a mental health issue is tied directly to demonic oppression or some sort of personal sin that's in their lives. How do you feel about such characterizations? And then like a follow-up question to that would be, how can we change that narrative to be more normative? So I don't want to remove the, the idea that, um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily call it a demonic 
um, oppression as much as I do believe that there can be an act of spiritual warfare going on. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't say that. So Christians will speculate that it's demonic oppression um, as well as sin in their lives, because a lot of the stories related to what we might currently um, we quickly would jump to the idea of schizophrenia, someone who's um, or uh, multiple, not multiple identities. Yeah. Multiple identities. So people that, that um, we, we attribute those characteristics to some of the old Testament and even some of the new Testament when, um, when Jesus casts the demons, um, the legion, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and so people tie the demonic oppression to those specific events within scripture. Um, and so they say, well, that must be what's going on currently. Um, and, and my only rebut to that is um, where there's light, there can be no darkness. So anybody who is a professed Christian and, and is an accepted believer of, of Jesus Christ, a born again, or however you might want to say that, is, is filled with the light, is filled with the spirit, and therefore could not be oppressed by a demon. Because where Jesus is, where God is, the demon is not going to be residing there. That's Absolutely. just not, that can't happen. Um, and so for Christians to experience um, demonic oppression um, doesn't make sense. Sure. Now, spiritual warfare does make sense. It makes perfect sense. Um, now, as far as personal sin in our lives creating um, mental health issues, um, when I, when I think about that, I think back to, um, when I was going through one of the biggest depressions of my life. Um, and that was back in college and I was dealing with some major depression revolving around the, the death of my grandmother. Mm -hmm. Um, and it all culminated. Um, and I had people that were talking to me and telling me that the reason I was, I was so depressed and having so many issues was because I had the sin in my life. Um, and I am by no way saying that I'm nearly as righteous as Job, but Job was afflicted beyond anyone's comprehension um, in today's, in, at least within the United States world. Like no one in the U.S. could ever comprehend what Job went through. And Job was completely righteous, right? <laughs> so, so we're going to say, oh, well, you sin, so, so therefore God's punishing you. Um, and once again, I think, so I think some of these these false, false narratives come from um, a poor, a poor interpretation of, of how scripture, the, the story within scripture, God used to punish people for their sin. Um, and I think that there are currently natural consequences for our sin. Um, however, I think at least for, for believers, um, I, I do believe that, that grace overcomes this idea of God being this wrathful punisher. Um, and that punishment that at least in my belief is that the punishment, um, and the wrath that God will have comes at the end times, um, or after your life where you no longer receive that, that presence of God and you, you, you spend life eternity in heaven or hell based on those decisions. And mm -hmm. that's where his wrath comes in. Now, 
my interpretation is is set to change. I mean, that's that's how life works. We grow, we develop, we change how we view Scripture and how and and God speaks to us in different ways. However, that's how I would address um, demonic oppression and and sin being the cause of any mental health issues. Um, yeah. So like, if, yeah. if I could like just quickly piggyback off of that, you know, um, when it comes back to the um, to the issue of like personal sin in one's life, you know, you, you made a very good point about, you know, there are natural consequences to our, our misdeeds. You know, if we do something wrong, like there's almost always a consequence to that. And so um, it very well could be that someone has done something wrong and has caused a series of events that has led to you know, them go, going into a, a spiral downward into depression Absolutely. Or, or, or into addiction or, or whatever the case may be. Um, so that, yeah, certainly we can't discount that. Um, I just, I, I kind of remember the, um, the mentality that I had whenever, um, whenever my girls passed and um, I, I just kept looking back in my life. I was like, was there something that I did wrong? that mm-hmm. caused God to take away my, my, my children before they could be born, you know? Um, and that was, that was me not handling my grief. Yes. And, um, you know, you know, I look at that now and I kind of like think of my, like how silly am I? But at the time, like, it was just, it was like a, a very normal, like reality to me. Like maybe there was something hidden in my life that I did wrong. And, you know, here's this thing going on and, and, you know, it's a natural consequence of that. And, you know, th- that can happen because look, it did happen to, to David, but, we also know that God is very gracious and um, we, we read, I, I'm going right now through the Bible, uh, like in a uh, chronological order and I'm just in Genesis, right? And I'm reading about Abraham and Abraham mm-hmm. is supposed to be one of these leaders in the faith and everything. And I'm just really reading through his story and I'm like, this guy's really messed up. And somehow God was gracious enough to bless him. You know, like I, I don't understand that. But then I look at my life and I'm like, well, you know, God's that way with me too. So maybe even though I, I sin, um, you know, he doesn't deal with me as harshly as he, sh- as he should. And so, like you said, you know, it could be, um, you know, maybe a, a, a spiritual battle. It could be maybe something tied to someone's um, personal sin. We, we just don't know. But I think there are, there's a group of Christians out there, especially that are um, that really focus on that. And they, they just kind of say, well, if you try to talk about depression or, um, you know, suicidal thoughts or anger issues or whatever. It's like, it's because you have a demon in you and you just need to rebuke the demon and, uh, you know, do this and that. And it's like, you know, that doesn't, that does nothing for, for anyone. Yeah. Um, if, if you don't mind, I, I want to share an experience I had with, with a previous, uh, a previous work environment. I had a manager um, as I was working through my master's um, I was working um, in North Dakota and I had a, a, a person that was, um, professed that he was a Christian and, and his opinion of mental health was that, um, anyone that struggles with mental health is weak minded and far from God. Um, wow. <laughs> which are two things that are the furthest from the truth. Um, and I want to say that, um, and if anyone is listening, if you do deal with depression and you deal with anxiety, you deal with any mental health issue, you are, you're basically getting up you're, you're starting your day in a handicap and you're working your way through your day. Um, some of you are functioning at extremely extraordinarily high levels dealing with things that other people can't even comprehend. If, if anything, you are the strongest minded people out there. Mm -hmm. Um, and those that can't comprehend the depression and anxiety and other mental health disorders. I keep going back to those two because they tend to be the major ones that, 
people within our country deal with, um, from my understanding. Um, but you guys are strong-minded people, and it does not make you far from God. In fact, sometimes in those times, the people they're dealing with depression and anxiety and um, a major life crisis are calling and screaming to God more than any of us could even imagine. Mm-hmm. We're, they are drawn closer to God through their pain and through their situation than, than people who have not experienced those things can imagine. It is intense, um, the, the yearning and crying and scripture reading um, and, and uh, praises of so, songs of praise, as well as laments. Um, I mean, I can't even, I can't tell you how, how deeply spiritual a good lament can be. Um, we have an entire book called Lamentation. Right, right? that's what I was about to say. <laughs> a, a lament is a, is a spiritual experience that some people will never experience, but some of these people dealing with mental health issues have experienced it firsthand, and they have been drawn so near to God. Um, and so I want to dispel that notion 100%. Mental health issues do not make you weak-minded, and they do not make you far from God. Right. Absolutely. Um, and, I, and I think you can even look, I mean, throughout the scriptures and see people who are wrestling. Like, yeah, obviously you mentioned the book of Lamentations, but I mean, going through the Psalms and you read whenever, you know, David lost his baby and the grief that he felt and he's clearly dealing with some things. Right. And he's yeah. also dealing with anger throughout, you know, some of the Psalms and, and through all kinds of different emotions. Right. Emotions are a part of who we are. And uh, sometimes that can be good. And sometimes that can be bad, right? It can um, lead us to the wrong places. And, and sometimes our, our brain just, like you said, maybe has a, has a hiccup or some kind of chemical imbalance and, and takes those emotions or, or other thoughts and just kind of turns them over there, you know, upside down or whatever. But, you yeah. know, you mentioned Job, right? Like that man had every right to be depressed and I'm sure he was, you know, um, I think it was, was it Jonah where I think the scriptures say that, you know, he even, um, went underneath a, a tree and wanted to die. Right. That, that, that to me sounds like, Hey, that's, that's, I've been there before. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, I, I understand exactly. I can relate to that. And like, even thinking back to Jesus himself, here's God in flesh yep. and, and, and in the garden before his crucifixion, he was wrought with so much anxiety and troubles, you know, in, in his mind that he was actually bleeding out of yep. like sweating. Right. Like that's, that's intense mental trauma right there. Well, I, would, I couldn't even imagine, um, and, and this is a very interesting take, I, I understand, but, but for those people who are truly in tune, um, who think about the, how the world would be with, if God were, were ever, pre- like he is ever present, if God were to permeate everyone's life and everyone were to, uh, were to show God in, in themselves, how the world could be what it once was, right? Mm. And so imagine being God in person, knowing what his plan was for all of these people and looking around and seeing nothing but wretched sinners and people who couldn't care, people who wanted him dead, who, who would much rather live in their own filth. And to just imagine being that creator and just I would be depressed just thinking of, you know, like I made all this. It was beautiful. It was amazing. And look at what it's become. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we read, you know, we know the, the, the shortest uh, verse in the Bible, two words, Jesus wept, right? Yeah. 
He saw the he saw what was going on. He wept. And even back all the way back, I, you know, just reading, um, I was reading through the story of Noah. You know, and they said God was was sorry that He ever made mankind and put him on the earth. Mm. Like like that's those. I mean, those are very strong emotions. Yes. And uh, you know, this is God having them. So that's uh, it's very interesting. So um, just to kind of change a little bit of the topic. Um, well, I mean, still staying on sort of the same topic, but um, what you, do you believe that there are like is maybe one or two issues that are more important right now that the church needs to address in, in terms of, um, you know, mental health, behavioral health? And if so, what do you think those would be? So I wouldn't say that there's any specific thing, any church as far as diagnosis or disorder that they should be more aware of. I think what the church needs to address is the the constant fake facade that we all live on Mm -hmm. um it the idea that when i come to church i need to put on this face and i need to be this person um because it's not healthy the the reality is is that we are all all fall short of the glory of god we are all broken we are all sinners we are all wretched in our own way and when we all show up to church on Sunday morning, or we all, as a body of the church, try to show how holy and pious we can be um, when we're all around, and then we come back to our homes, we're yelling and arguing with our wives, we're, um, you know, some men, we're, we're, we're looking at pornography, we're, we're being those wretched beings, but when we're at church, no one knows that we're suffering, no one knows that we're struggling. Um, I think that is what churches have to stop. And someone will say, well, that's not mental health. That's spiritual. No, all of these aspects play into each other. Our spiritual life plays into our mental health. Our mental health plays into our spiritual life. The reality is, is that if we all came and we were all honest about where we were at in our life, people that are dealing with severe mental health issues would feel comfortable talking to a person at the church, a person, whether that's the pastor, whoever that might be, they would come to that person. They would find help and they wouldn't feel guilty. They wouldn't feel shame because guilt and shame, mainly shame are is what keeps people from getting that help. There's something wrong with me. Um, And when I feel there's something wrong with me, I don't want people to know that. Right. I mean, and right. so that that's what the church really needs to work on. Not necessarily, Hey, we need to know more about suicide prevention. I want everybody to know how can we help um, pre- prevent suicide? How can we prevent some of these atrocious things from happening? But I think the main thing that churches and people in general need to do is if I go to church and someone asks me how I'm doing, if I'm not doing okay, I share that. Mm, I'm not doing okay today. I feel like crap today. Um, You know what? After I I can, I I can speak to when we, we lost our, our first uh, baby to a miscarriage. I went to church and I let people know, you know, I feel like crap. I'm at, at the time I'm angry at God. And I could, I did the same thing when I was at at campus students for Christ, when I was struggling through some of my major um, depression, when people asked me how I was, I didn't fake it. And I'm not perfect. I'm not saying be like me, but I am saying that my ability to tell other people I'm struggling, I'm having a hard time 
has opened doors for other people when I'm able to listen, they're able to come and talk to me, my friends, my family, um, colleagues, um, because they know this guy's real. He feels these things, he knows these things have happened, and he's willing to listen, he's been there. And I think that's what churches have to start doing. They have to start encouraging people to be real. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, just as a, a little bit of a side note there, um, you know, I, I mentioned earlier at the beginning of this that, you, you know, you're one of my best friends and, and really you are. And, you know, I, you and I talk probably every day um, and we talk about a variety of things. But one of the things that we always try to, to talk to each other about is, you know, how are you doing? Um, you know, how, how are you actually feeling? And that's something I really appreciate about our friendship is that, you know, you and I, even though we're, I don't know, thousand miles apart, um, that, that we can still, you know, talk to each other every day and see how, you know, the other one's doing and, and, and make sure that we're doing okay. And if not, you know, how can we help out? How can we pray? You know, do you want to talk about it? Is there someone else that you can talk to about it? That kind of thing. So that's, that's been a very, you know, a, a very, you know, really big part of my life. And I, I appreciate that and that, that you've, uh, you know, introduced that into my life. And it's something that I, I hope to introduce into other people's life. Um, and so using that as sort of a, a segue, you know, we, we've talked a little bit, of, especially about men, um, you know, of course, mental health issues, behavioral health issues, they impact women and men alike, right? Yes. Uh, women and men, they may have some, some differences in, in what, you know, the, um, the results are or, 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 you know, what causes things, but more or less, you know, they, they can all experience the same thing. Um, and so um, but specifically, you know, men have this historical problem about talking about their issues right like you mentioned earlier you know you got to be the the sort of you know john wayne cowboy you know pull yourself up by the bootstrap don't show any emotions because if you do you're weak and you're not a man and um you know in in some cases that could be that word that we don't want to use toxic masculinity um but you know overall it is an issue whether you want to call it toxic masculinity or or something else it is an issue that um men still feel that they have no um one to talk to that they have no reason to talk to anyone. Um, but you know, I'm sitting here, I, I, I just opened up uh, my browser and I was looking top 10 causes of death in men. You know, you have the typical heart disease, cancer, stroke, that kind of stuff. And some of those are caused by, you know, they, or can be exacerbated by mental health issues, which may yep. be through like addiction or something like that. But one of the top 10 is, is suicide, you know, and uh, you know, you and I both uh, had a friend um, from CSC and, you know, great guy and was going through ministry stuff and you know tragically took his life and it's still something that has shaken me up up to this day and that's been almost five years ago i think um that he did that it was just one of those things like i can't like of all the people i would have never imagined him being the one to have have done that and so it just really made me sit back and think like i need to look at the men in my life and see how they're doing and it's funny because um, you know, last year I, uh, I, w- I went to a, a men's sort of retreat at my church and, you know, the guys in my church are real good and everything like that. And so we had, a, we came to a time where it was like, okay, men of the church, what do we think um, are some big issues that we need to address as men of the church? And, you know, there were the typical ones like, oh, some people have uh, the porn habits. Some people have anger issues. Some people have, um, uh, you know, marriage problems or, you know, no satisfaction at work. And those are all somewhat, you know, tangibly related to mental health. But, you know, I, I, when I said, I said, you know, I think that we need to focus on men as a whole, you know, the whole man, you know, not just the, the aspect of him going to work and not just the man who's at the, 
um, you know, the house being the man of the house, not the man who comes to the church, but every part of the man. And that includes mental health. Like I kind of got some looks at me like, Hmm, like, what are you talking about? And I was like, you know, these men are going through the same things that I've gone through. And I know that deep down, they probably want to talk to someone about it, but they're still like, even men, even though they know this may be a problem, still put up a wall and don't want to do it. So I guess it's like, what do we do? How do we, how do we turn this tide? How do we, you know, make it socially acceptable um, for men to come out and, you know, talk about how they're feeling and not, you know, not expecting them to, to sit down and, you know, cry and hold hands. And, and that's fine if people want to do that. But, you know, I, I think it's like people have this false dichotomy in their head of like, either I'm tough and I don't say anything or I'm, uh, you know, a pansy and, you know, I have tissues and I'm crying and, and I'm soft and everything like that. And it's like, no, like it's good to cry as a man. Sometimes you need to cry. <laughs> and, and sometimes it's also good to maybe reserve um, some of your emotions depending on on the situation but overall like you need to be open with who you are and how you're feeling so how do we how do we get men to open up and and, and do that i would start i start with myself right um and and when i when i say that i i truly mean i start with myself i look how do i express myself if i'm with other men and i'm dealing with something how do i sh- how do i share that right so I, it's very, I I love your question. How do we get, how do we get other men to, to reach this point of, of emotional awareness, emotional um, knowledge? How do we get them there? And, and the best way to get there, get them there is to lead, not to pull Hmm. and, and leaders do. And, and so when it comes to emotional awareness, I, I'm, I'm personally emotionally aware. I work through my own things. And if I get a chance to talk to other men, I do. I make sure that I have those conversations with other men. And I make sure that emotions are a part of those conversations. Um, I think, and I think that's where it starts. Any man that's currently listening to this podcast, if you want to, if you want to open up an emotional conversation with a person, um, Find a pastor, find a person that, that you know that you could be safe with and just share. And as you start with that person that you, you feel safe with, that relationship, as unique as you might think it is, is not that unique. And I tell clients this all the time. I am not one of a kind. I myself am one of a kind. But there are so many other people, men included out there, who are emotionally attuned, who emotionally care, and we're not out there alone. And it's okay to come together as men. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be angry. I, you, you mentioned earlier as we were talking, you know, Jesus wept. Um, like, like, and I, I think, I think of weeping as like a nasty cry. Mm-hmm. Like, not just oh, a little tear. I think like this, this sob, right? Just, like, overwhelmed with emotion. Um, so, so obviously Jesus felt uh, a sense of sadness, um, of sorrow. Um, I, I think the biggest thing is as men, our example is, as everyone, our example is Jesus. But what we often draw to um, the power and all the resilience that God and Jesus have, but, but God and Jesus showed all of the emotions that, that are associated with us. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus pouring 
blood. He's, he's sweating blood as he's praying um, out of this human anxiety, this human fear and worry, while he knows spiritually he is perfectly fine. Um, you know, and, and so there's this, any emotion that, that you are currently dealing with, another man has dealt with. Mm-hmm. mainly Jesus. Right. Um, and so if Jesus has dealt with it, why are we hiding it? Why, why do we feel it a, a necessity to, to be this big brawny man when, when in all, all my understanding of accounts, Jesus wasn't this big brawny man. He said, I love the, the story of woman at the well. What big, what big burly brawn unattuned with his emotions man could go sit down with a woman at the well, confront her of her sin, tell her what she's done, and the woman never felt judged. She felt loved through the entire thing. That's because he's in tune with his emotions. He's willing to sit and be comfortable in that uncomfortable space. So I think men, for for you and I, and and any man um, listening, uh, I think where you really start is with yourself. Absolutely. Start um, engaging with your emotions, naming them. You are not always angry. That's a huge misnomer for a lot of men is I'm always angry. No, you're not. If you're always angry, I guarantee you, I shouldn't guarantee things, but I, I am fairly certain if you are a person who says I'm always angry, there is something else behind that anger. Yep. That's sadness, that's hurt, that's frustration, that's fear, um, those there's so many things underlying. So you need to get to the root of the anger. The anger is the fire. And as long as you spray the, the extinguisher at the fire and not at the root of the fire, the fire continues to burn. Yeah. Um, so a uh, really long answer to say, if we want other men to feel comfortable showing emotion, we need to show emotion. We need to be the model and the example. Absolutely. And it's, it's always tough to, uh, to be the one leading the charge on that, you know, cause it's funny, like as I sit here and, you know, I, I think this is a very important topic and that's why I'm covering it as like the first um, podcast of, of this year. Um, but at the same time, I feel like such a hypocrite because when it comes down to it, I'm like, Oh, you know, I don't need to go to a therapist or, or whatever. I don't need to talk these things out. And like, yes, you do Thomas, like get over it and, and just go and do it. Like it's, it's, it, it can be a little uncomfortable to take that step, but you know what, whenever you do it, you'll be fine. And it's funny. Cause I, you know, I was talking with one of my, my siblings earlier and they were telling me about their experiences going with, to a, a therapist over the last few months and um, how it's making them feel so much better. And, you know, just being able to realize some things about themselves. And I'm like, I felt a little bit of jealousy, like, Hmm, wish I had that. <laughs> and so that's maybe, you know, a little bit of a, a wake up call to me to say, you know, whenever you have the opportunity do it. Um, so, yeah. Um, and I, and I would like to, I would like to add for anyone who does not know you and, and, and what you look like, you are not exactly some sort of, uh, you know, limp wristed, tiny, scrawny, little hippie sort of person. Ken, Ken is, I don't know you're what? Six, seven. Um, six, five. Okay. Six, um, five. Uh, I'm over 300 pounds here. You're a big guy. You have a big I, beard. You're very manly. Like, 
I remember a few years ago, you like you go out to like Montana, which is like, uh, like I think, or North Dakota or something like that, where you have family. And I'm sure you go do all kinds of manly stuff out there, like chopping trees and hunting bears or whatever. So, you know, <laughs> if if you could sit here and talk about emotions, then anyone can. I mean, like, yeah. come on. <laughs> the the kids I used to work with called me lumberjack. There we and go. <laughs> that's that's really it, it fits. I, if I'm wearing my, my plaid shirts and my blue jeans and boots, I, I could very well pass for a lumberjack. Absolutely. Know? I'm a big guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, and I think that's uh, what I wanted, I do want to say is that for people who go to a counselor, let's say your first experience isn't great. Um, the, the thing I want to reiterate is um, counseling is a relationship, mm-hmm. right? And so just because I meet my first counselor and I'm like, I didn't, it didn't work. That doesn't mean counseling isn't for you. It might just mean that that counselor isn't for you. Right. Um, because the, the progress people make within, within psychotherapy, about 75% of that is based on your ability to, to relate and have a relationship with the person you're meeting with. So if, if you go there and, and the person doesn't jive well with you, Find someone else within your, your insurance network or within your, your affordability that does jive with you right. um, because it's, it's just as much a relationship. Sorry. I, I, I really want people to know that, that relationship is key when it comes to counseling as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, that's a good reminder. Um, so I think, you know, we're coming a little bit to the, to the end of the episode, but I do have a couple more questions for you. Maybe we can get through now. Of course you said that you, you work at a, uh, you know, a school and you, you have students that come into you. I'm just wondering, are there like any trends that you're seeing amongst, among younger uh, patients that are coming into your office? So I think the biggest, the biggest reality, um, whether it's with, with those youngest patients or with whether it's within the, the, the other practice that I work with um, is that um, communication is so poor. Um, and I know that might not be the, the hot answer that we all want, but, but when it really, what it really breaks down to is communication Absolutely. within um, I can't tell you how many relationships that I've, I've talked to, on either end, whether it's a, a young man coming in to talk about the relationship or a young woman or both men and women um, coming in as couples. Um, even if it's simply a person dealing with their own specific set of circumstances, um, communication is something that as they start developing better communication, they really start developing better ability to cope. Because if I can communicate to somebody what I feel, how I feel, um, effectively, right? Um, effective communication can really diminish a lot of the other things. Think about your, for anyone listening that's that's married. Think about your your most recent argument with your spouse and really process through that argument and think about how many times there was a lapse, a lapse of communication between the two of you that probably caused whatever problem was in that argument. Yep. You know, so I would say that's probably the biggest is, is people need to learn to communicate effectively about their, about how they feel and what they want in ways that other people can hear. 
Yeah. And I think if people learn that one skill, we could solve so many issues in our world. Like, absolutely. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about what's going on with, with the kind of insanity in our country and like how political sides don't communicate to each other. They are, they're, they're using words that don't really go across the, the aisle. And, you know, like you said, with marriages, there's so many divorces that happen because people don't communicate. Um, even, you know, with my experience with previous jobs, one of the biggest hindrances that we had was that people did not communicate effectively and openly and honestly in a, in a, a kind way. Um, and that caused so many issues, you know, unnecessary issues. So communication is absolutely key. Um, so thank you for that. Well, you know, thank you so much for, for being here with me, um, you know, recording this with me. It's, it's definitely an important topic. And, you know, I think that you, um, you, you covered a lot of things and I'm thankful that you said a lot of what you said. Um, it's very important for everyone to hear. And so I, I'm excited to share with, with people who are, who are listening to this and, uh, you know, thank you so much again for your friendship and, you know, thank you for everything you do. And so are there any last words that you want to give to us before we sign off? Not, not entirely. I, I want, uh, yes, I want people to, to communicate, talk to the people that you love, talk to the people that you feel safe around, um, communicate what's really going on, communicate to them how you really feel, communicate to um, your pastors, communicate to your, your friends and family. Um, this podcast is based on um, reform everything. Let's reform the way that we view mental health. Let's yes. reform the way that we that we interact with others in in light of mental health, um, so that we can bring light into the darkness of of other people. That's what I would like to say. I could not put it any more beautiful than that. All right, thank you again to Ken, and uh, you know we look forward to uh, maybe having you on the show again sometime. Thank you again, Ken, and uh, give my give my love to your family. You as well. And that wraps up our season two premiere episode. I hope that you found this content helpful and thought provoking. And look, if you need to talk, please, please, please find someone. All of us have someone that cares. And if you feel that either you don't have someone that cares or you can't talk to those people, you know, there are professionals that can help you. So you can call 1-800-662-HELP. That is for mental health or substance abuse issues. Or, you know, if you're feeling that things are just more than you can handle and you're just in a very dark place, you can call the National Suicide Hotline, which is 1-800-273-8255. So whatever the case may be, uh, maybe, please don't be silent. Tell your story. Um, get help. Feel free to live again. It's, it's really important that you guys take care of yourselves, okay? All right, now, so in our next episode... Um, you know, I was going to talk about addiction and uh, and all that, but there's a lot of chaos going on right now and we need to address it. So I'm going to cover some of the political events that have happened in the last you know, couple of weeks here in January 2021. Um, so, yeah, I, I look forward to, I don't know, trying to have a level head about that and not get too ranty, but we'll see where that goes. So anyways, friends, uh, until next time, love the Lord with all your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and love others as you love yourselves. And above all, don't forget to reform everything.